For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A commercial lobster diver named Michael Packard was swallowed by a humpback whale last week. Well, mouthed may be the more accurate term. According to Packard, he was held on the humpback's tongue, where it was completely black. Humpbacks can grow between 42 and 53 feet in length and weigh in around 80,000 pounds. What I'm trying to say is, that's a big tongue, and Packard was occupying a small part of it. Packard was outfitted with scuba equipment and estimates being in the whale's mouth for 30 to 40 seconds which is a long time to be underwater, let alone inside someone's mouth. Packard has a perspective on life very, very few people will ever get. Perhaps the only other person documented could be Jonah from the Bible, which brings to mind that great John Prine song, Dear John. You know, it's about the guy's wife leaving him, she leaves a note, like the Dear John note. And the verse says, like, uh, Jonah got along in the belly of a whale, Daniel in the lion's den. I know a guy that didn't try to get along, he won't get a chance again. That's all she wrote. Well, all she wrote is exactly what Packard assumed life had in store for him. In that 30 to 40 seconds, he had time to think, I am in the mouth of a great white, but then thought, I don't seem to be harmed and there aren't any sharp teeth. He then thought about his two boys. And he had time to think that this is the end. He's over. He's finished. And most importantly, he had time to think of how the whale did not seem to react well to his attempts to thrash about, which is what he did. In his words, he eventually saw light, and the whale started throwing his head side to side, and the next thing he knew, he was outside in the water. He was spit out, regurgitated almost. 
Packard was picked up by his crew and taken to the Cape Cod Hospital, where he was eventually released with no broken bones, just bruises. Humpback whales are baleen whales, meaning they have no teeth and a hunt by scooping up large schools of food, like the sand lance, which is a fish that was observed swimming around in the area along with striped bass. In order to trap large schools, the whale's vision is blocked when they open their mouths really wide. This action occasionally results in bycatch. They then force the water out, and that baleen traps the food in and lets the water go out. In this case, it also trapped in our Mr. Packard. On average, a humpback needs about 3,000 pounds of fish a day, which, just by eyeballing it, would be the equivalent of 17.64 Michael Packards. Packard reportedly is going right back to diving with a whale of a story to tell, and only minus a few days of his lobster season, which is truly incredible. I have got to say, congratulations to you, Michael Packard, and to the whole family that gets to keep you around. I am truly jealous of the story you now have. Pace yourself on retelling it. Something tells me you may be getting asked about this one for a while. In fact, your fate may be sealed as the most popular grandpa on the block already, and your boys have a way to go to make that happen. In my day, we didn't have these fancy seat belts. In my day, if you stopped suddenly, you knew exactly where you were going, straight through the windshield. You were dead and you liked it. This week, we've got anal gland nipples, Alaska, grizzly bears, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is brought to you by Steel Power Equipment. But you already know that. I am back in the sunny state of California after a brief gear swap of 24 hours in Montana. I am meeting up with some friends from Rife International to explore the California coast, primarily for white sea bass, as well as some other species. The white sea bass story is an interesting one, and I hope I can lay it out for you in a future episode of Cal in the Field. Although the white sea bass has been a prized fish for both the commercial and recreational fishery here in California for at least as long as it's been a state, the question of, is this fishing sustainable, has been lingering for about a hundred years. Real action to assess the health of the fishery and the impacts of harvest and how the fish are harvested has been a progressive process, eventually resulting in a moratorium on gill nets and greatly reduced recreational take, specifically during a portion of the bass spawning season. On this trip, I'm going to meet up with and take a look at a state-run hatchery, a volunteer-run rearing pen for sea bass, and eventually make it out into the Channel Islands, maybe even beyond, to try and find the adult fish on their spawning grounds. Obviously, lots more to come and much to learn. I'm super excited for this one, and I am super excited to show you all of what I find. But for now, we're going to move on. we got lots to talk about. A few news items have crossed my radar recently on the rise of the polar bear-grizzly hybrid. The articles detail how climate change has been reducing the sea ice that polar bears use to go after seals, forcing them to move further south into more challenging habitat to find food. At the same time, warming temps move grizzlies further north into the range of the polar bear. And then as it goes, a young bear's thoughts turn to love, and boom, we get a combo of the two, called either growler bears, 
or Pizzlies. Of those two names, I personally lean towards Growler Bear, and I'll tell you why. Sometimes I buy Pizzle Sticks for the old snort dog. You know, the dog treat made from the dried member of a steer? So a Pizzly sort of sounds like the same item, but off a majestic bear instead of a beef cattle, which just doesn't seem right. Now I'm going to back up real quick and lay out some facts. Pizzly v. Growler is not as simple as a naming preference. It is actually the sire that determines the name. Pizzly is what you would call the offspring of a male polar bear breeding with a female grizzly bear, and a growler bear is the result of a male grizzly breeding with a female polar bear. Just like in the domestic livestock world, a beefalo is the offspring of a domestic bull beef cattle and a bison cow. Buffa beef is the offspring of a bull bison and a domestic cow. And to back up a bit more, the fantasy of young love is often just that, a fantasy in the wild, especially when talking about male predator populations. It is often the young males that are getting their butts kicked, even killed during the breeding season, by older bears, male and female. Love hurts. Anyway, reading these stories, you'd think that a big sloth of a mocha-colored bear had just been turning up outside of, like, Edmonton or something, and that the hybrids were spreading like cold-weather termites. The subtitle of one of these articles even declares, quote, hybrid polar grizzly bears are taking over, which kind of conjures images of like White Walker type creatures in Game of Thrones descending on the populated areas. Winter is coming. We know what's coming with it. The last confirmed hybrid bear seems to have been identified in 2014. And every couple of years, a new batch of articles comes out about the phenomenon referring to this same research. Hybrids are being born. It's just that people aren't coming across them every year, and they remain rare. Keep in mind, an adult male polar bear can weigh in at about 1,000 pounds, while an interior or non-coastal sow grizz is probably between 300 and 400 pounds. The coastal brown bear is typically much larger but there is still a good size difference between the polar bear and a coastal brown bear. All that to say, whether it be Pizzly or Growler, the pair would have more to overcome than just the odds of bumping into each other in a vast landscape. There's a good size and appearance difference as well. But here are a few things we do know for sure. Before 2006, scientists debated whether grizzlies and polar bears could even mate at all. The two species were thought to have diverged about five and 700,000 years ago, which is about 100,000 years earlier than when Homo sapiens and Neanderthals parted ways. The wisdom at the time was that species as distinct as these two stayed distinct. But then, in 2006, hunters named Jim Martell and Roger Kuptana shot an unusual bear on Banks Island in the Northwest Territories of Canada. The bear had the thick white fur of a polar bear, but it had longer claws than a polar bear typically does, and more hump back and a shallower face, as well as dark patches around its eyes, nose, back, and feet. Genetic analysis confirmed that it was, in fact, a mix of a polar bear and a grizzly bear, a hybrid. Then, between 2006 and 2014, nine more mixed bears were discovered. 
Genetic analysis of all of these bears showed not only recent hybridization, but a complex history of gradual divergence of the two species, with periodic backcrossings between them. This leads to bears who have the hollow hair characteristic of polar bears on most of their bodies, the hollow hair insulates better in the cold, with the solid grizzly hair type around the paws. But what I find just as interesting as the mixing of these species is the way they compete with each other as the world changes. Keep in mind, the word compete doesn't necessarily mean duking it out like gladiators in the Colosseum. Compete can mean whose genes are passed on, which kind of brings us back to the lovemaking side of things. Polar bears are losing habitat. In 2021, the Northern Hemisphere glacial maximum was 336,000 miles smaller than the average maximum between 1981 and 2010. That means two Californias worth of ice have been lost. The solid shoreline of ice that provides polar bears the hunting opportunity to lunge after seals is literally breaking up. And grizzlies have been moving north. As the two species overlap, polar bears have a harder time holding their own because they are much more specialized apex predators. Their skulls are longer for reaching out into water for their prey, their molars are much flatter, and their jaws not as strong because their diet of seal blubber is so soft. They don't have to chew through bone and plant material the way grizzlies do. It's interesting to think about grizzlies as a kind of invasive species here or at least a generalist species like coyotes or white-tailed deer, which have thrived not because they're better or stronger, but because they do pretty well in a lot of different conditions. Grizzlies can happily eat seal blubber and elk bones and blueberry bushes and garbage, whereas polar bears are stuck when the seals get harder to access and they have to eat. As the biologists put it, a more mechanically challenging diet. The polar bear's Latin name, Ursus maritimus, indicates that the polar bear needs a stable marine environment to deploy its adaptations, whereas the brown bear, or Ursus arctos, does pretty well above the Arctic Circle in general. See that tie back into generalist? You paying attention? Ooh. Last note on the growler bear pizzly topic, the combining of names like this, Converting the words smoke and fog into smog, just like polar bear and grizzly bear into pizzly or growler, is called a portmanteau word. Portmanteau is the French word for suitcase, which I kind of like because it makes me think of stuffing a polar bear and a grizzly into a suitcase, carrying it around for a while, and being able to pop that sucker open whenever you feel like it. Uh, I just thought I'd share that with you. We have yeah, we happy. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, 
Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver, off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Quick couple of mentions from the YouTube and social media desk. If you have not gotten hooked on the Meat Eater Hunts YouTube series with our own Giannis Patelis, check it out. Elk, mule deer, whitetail, great instruction. Giannis does a fantastic job of putting the viewer in the scene only found at the Meat Eater YouTube channel. If you are searching for that motivation to get out to the range and practice with your rifle or bow or shotgun, this is it. Next up, Grizzly 399, the ultra-famous grizz who lives in Grand Teton National Park and requires a small army of volunteers to keep the paparazzi away, recently justified her A-list status in a big way. The photographer, Rachel Sandoval, was there to capture the 25-year-old sow barreling after and bringing down a brand new elk calf still sporting its spots, then feeding on the carcass with her cubs. There were even a few skirmishes between the cubs during the meal. It's awesome. These images are simply phenomenal. A wake of dust spreading out behind the grizz, long springtime claws clearly visible, the four little cubs trying to keep up, not really knowing what's going on. The calf with all four hooves off the ground trying its best to escape. It's well worth your time to look for these still images and the video of another 399 elk calf encounter from this past May. Both are great refreshers on the power, speed, and agility of an old mama grizz. Speaking in general terms, grizzlies eat a lot of plant matter, but you can see clearly that a change of menu was a top priority for $3.99. Check them out, but not just yet. We got a lot to cover. Moving on to the crime desk. 39-year-old Brett Stimmick, 
was sentenced to 15 months in prison and fined $95,000 for trespassing onto the Red Lake Chippewa Reservation in northern Minnesota and poaching a 700-pound black bear. It's clear that Stimmick bit off a little more than he could chew, as apparently there were several attempts over the course of three days to remove the bear. He finally settled for taking the head, three paws, and about 70 pounds of meat. As you may be able to predict, he still managed to get a grip and grin, which he posted to Facebook, which is how authorities tracked him down. You had one, Joe. Just the one. Stimmick's lawyer tried to argue that his client had lied about shooting the bear and had in fact just happened to come across it while out trespassing in the Red Lake Nation, which the court did not find convincing. Quick side note here, Red Lake is the only reservation in Minnesota where all the territory is held in common, meaning every member of the tribe owns the land, and one of Red Lake's seven clans is the Makwa, or the Bear Clan. Now, a $95,000 trespassing fine and poaching fine is not the result of a first-time offense. The big guns like that typically only get brought out to make a good example of a repeat offender. Stimmick's border crossing is especially interesting in the context of another boundary issue that a few listeners have alerted me to. Every year, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game issues permits to hunt bison in units 450 and 454, which is the Copper River Basin in southern Alaska, about halfway between Anchorage and Juneau on the Canadian border. Much of the Copper River bison herds range is on the land of the native Alaskan Atna people, an Athabascan-speaking group whose name means People of the Copper River. This land is controlled by Atna Inc., one of 13 regional corporations created under the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act of 1971, which intended to settle long-disputed aboriginal claims in the region with the U.S. government. So even though Alaska Fish and Game issues permits for this hunt, those who draw the tag typically pay a trespass fee or land access permit fee in order to cross the boundary onto Atna land, which seems fair just as you pay more as an out-of-state hunter. This agreement works out well for both parties and for the bison. Funds from the state of Alaska application fees and tags as well as from the Atna land access fee go toward conserving the Copper River herd. But, just a few weeks ago, hunters who had drawn tags for units 450 and 454 went online to find the link to pay the Atna trespass fee and found that it had been removed. Only after several days did Atna Inc. make an announcement that they were not issuing the land access permits for 2021, effectively ending the hunt. Atna Inc. gave no explanation for the decision, and Alaska Fishing Game wasn't consulted. So now these hunters can't participate in this once-in-a-lifetime hunt. They're out their application fee and tag payment, and we're now in a situation where funds from the state government are going toward a herd that people can't access. Readers of Stephen Rinella's American Buffalo will recall Steve's administrative struggles in this area and the extremes he had to go to to get around them. Hiking up rivers below the high water mark to stay on ground he was allowed to access, which is still an option for the current tag holders. Jacob Broussard, law student and a member of the Choctaw Nation, did a great job on the Meat Eater podcast laying out how these land access relationships work now and how they could work well into the future. Here's hoping that the Atna reconsider this one. More to come on this, I'm sure, and I'll keep you posted. Next up, the good example desk. It's about time, right? People are complicated. 
They come in many different sizes, shapes, and possess a myriad of qualities. I'm sure you have some good-hearted folks in your life. I know I do. But I'm not sure if I know anyone as good-hearted as Michael Jeffrey of Nelson, B.C. According to the CBC Canada, Michael noticed a skunk stumbling down the road with its head stuck inside a beer can. As you can imagine, Michael had to ponder this a bit. The animal was definitely in distress. He was on the way to work. In Michael's own words, quote, My heart's like, oh my god, I really need to help this guy. And then my head's like, dude, you're gonna get sprayed. You're going to work. You work with somebody who's very sensitive. You're gonna be offensive. At this point, I have to say seriously, Michael, you are a better man than I. When considering voluntarily getting sprayed by a skunk, what comes to mind is not yourself. It's offending a sensitive coworker? Come on. <laughs> He's a saint! For those of you who have not had the pleasure, that gnarly smell on the side of the road is just a hint of what is possible in the overall smell department. A 1990 study of what exactly makes skunks so odorous found a combination of seven chemical compounds, some of which had only until then been produced in a lab meaning a skunk's anal glands were the only place they had been found in all of nature. All seven of these compounds smell, but two of the seven seem to be designed in order to remind those that choose to mess with skunks to never do it again. These are thioacetates, which are built around a bond of one hydrogen atom and two sulfur atoms. What makes them so memorable is they react with water. A byproduct of this reaction is, you guessed it, really terrible odor meaning that, as a spray victim sweats, they smell worse. Or in the case of humans, the more water you use to get rid of odor, the more odor you produce. The other five chemical compounds bond to fibers incredibly well, especially wool, meaning that, if you get sprayed, the smell is going to linger and intensify once you try to get rid of it. For you sheep listening, that's bad news. Oh yeah, good stuff. Anyway. Michael had to consider all of this while watching this poor, smelly critter deal with its man-made head trap. Eventually, Michael's good Samaritan side took over, and he cautiously approached the skunk in his work clothes while he was headed for work. He, quote, started coming closer to me, and I just knew it was time. I jumped in, took some bold action, and got the can pried three-quarters of the way off his head as gently as I could. While the skunk was about to shake the can the rest of the way off, Michael was already fleeing to avoid the stinky situation. Here's his next quote. In the time I was running, he had his butthole directly at me and his tail raised, so he was trying to blast me. Fun fact here, skunk spray has a general self-propelled range of about 10 feet. The odor itself can be detected beyond a mile, some estimates of smell distance going far beyond that. Skunks used to be lumped into the Mustelidae family. Although skunks look a lot like weasels, it is their anal glands that set them apart. Unlike mustelid or weasel anal glands, which also secrete potent odors, the skunk family, Mephididae, which is Latin for stink, has anal glands that are outfitted with nipples. It is through these nipples, which they aim and project, they're sometimes blinding odor. I bring up these anal nipple glands because I think that should be the determining factor in the question of how close did you get to the skunk? Could you see the nipples? 
or, well, I mean, you get it, right? Michael Jeffries, wherever you are, hats off to you for both being a conscientious co-worker and a friend to animals, even the stinky ones. For you BC residents, if you bump into this fellow, buy him a beer and don't throw your empties out on the side of the road. If you or someone you know gets sprayed by a skunk, use a soap with a heavy alkaline base. The alkaline will help break the hydrogen-sulfur bonds, making the skunk odor more water-soluble and less clingy. Try baking soda and hydrogen peroxide. You can even throw in some woolite in there. Thank you so much for listening. That's all I've got for you this week. Remember to check out www.steeldealers.com. Get yourself a pole saw, an electric chainsaw, maybe even just some pruning shears to cut open your birds this fall. You can find it all there by way of an official steel dealer. They are knowledgeable, they are friendly, and they'll point you in the right direction. And last but not least, and possibly most importantly, tell me what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order